I got pulled into a customer council meeting, but the team was sort of wary, I would say, of this marketing guy, like, you know, engineers think marketing is only for shitty products, right? And I said at one point, you know, we were talking about bits and bytes, and do you want a red button or a blue button, do you want a whatever, but it was really like hardcore in the tech. And there was this pause, and I said, the first time you recovered your data, how did that make you feel? And there was this like awkward silence in the room, and like my people looked at me, and they, it was more like, what the f***? From ProfitWell Recur, it's Protect the Hustle, a show about those who are in the trenches actually doing the work. I'm Patrick Campbell. And I'm Ben Hill. And on today's show, how Mike Troiano has used the power of brand to shape the growth of Coca-Cola, Taco Bell, and startups from around the world. Also, just a quick note, if you share this episode on Twitter with the hashtag #ProtectIt, we'll hook you up with some nice ProfitWell swag. Brand is a powerful force that is often misunderstood and underappreciated. Yeah, you know, when most people think of brand, they might think of the frivolous things. The, just the name, maybe the logo, some fancy colors, All stuff like that. All those accoutrements, The accoutrements, yeah. the little nitty-gritty. Totally, but brand is much more than a name and the colors, right? You know, because your brand is the sum of all of the individual experiences with your product and your company that, that someone has. And every little bit contributes to that positive perception or that negative perception of your brand. And I actually love Jeff Bezos's quote here that, your brand is what other people say about you when you've left the room. I, I don't want to know what you say about me when I leave the room, Patrick, but <laughs> It's only good things. I, I would assume so. But I do love how strong Bezos' brand is. And we don't really need to provide any more context other than just speaking his name because we automatically know who you're talking about. We know that unsaid exactly, thing. Exactly. And it, it's a strong brand that was built over decades of news and experiences with Amazon, of course. Okay. But here's my thing, though. There's right, There's been this debate. There's been this little chatter back and forth about brand for mm. the better part of a decade that either it matters or it doesn't matter. And so my question is, does it matter? Well, what's interesting is we actually collected some data oh on this. Oh my! Okay, well we can't we can't do the data right. <laughs> now. I ruin all the fun yeah, with data. Let's get to the numbers later. All right, all right, we'll get to the numbers later. But but here's here's what I'll say: brand matters now more than ever. I think that we're in a world now of competition, and that competition is five x what it was five years ago. Uh, features and functionality they're greatly diminishing in value, and then consumers are getting hammered not in like the fun way, by all types of products and offers. And brand is actually a key differentiator in both B2B and in B2C. Right. And, and a lot of people, you know, the assumption is that brand is just reserved for B2C, just direct consumer products, when in reality, business and selling to businesses, this, this B2B world can benefit from brand more than anyone. And that's why our chat with G20 Ventures' Mike Troiano is so relevant to this week. He's been building brands and shaping brands for decades. I mean, you just tell me what, what are some of the ones that he's worked with. Totally. He's worked with all the big ones and all the little ones. So Mike's an OG of the marketing world. He's also an OG of the Boston world here. And he he started in the agency game where he worked shaping the brands of, of things that you might have heard of, like Coca-Cola and Taco Bell. And then he jumped into the tech world as president at M-Cube and most recently was the CMO of Actifio. Uh, that's on the IPO warpath right now. And this was before he joined the venture world. Okay. My favorite title 
for Mike. Oh. It's, it's one that he hasn't given himself. But do you know? Do you happen to know which one? Yes, it is? he definitely did not give this himself. But <laughs> this is something I've known about Mike for a long. Or people have called Mike for a long time, and he kind of sheepishly grins. But I think it's <laughs> it's it's a really really good moniker for him. It is the Godfather of Brand. <laughs> And Indeed. Then, you know, there's nobody else that we've met who embodies this more and who understands brand more than Mike. So although, like you said, he might not call it himself, he's the perfect person to start us on this journey to understanding brand as the godfather of brand. Totally. And we'll, we'll get there in a bit, but I think it's important to understand where he came from first, because that agency world really shaped his approach to brand, and in my opinion, at least in a good way. And I would pay careful attention to where he talks about why the agency world was best for his skill set, because I think that really shapes his approach to brand, and it's going to allow you to learn the most from, from him in this particular case. And I would also really pay attention to what he talks about here, where he and the crew at Taco Bell actually went and took on McDonald's when McDonald's was at its height. I was a public communications major at Cornell. Yeah, I went to New York to seek fame and fortune and uh, didn't find it right away. Um, and then got an agency job and, and then just went to bigger and bigger places. Went to San Francisco, worked out there for a year. Came back east to go to HPS, then started my first agency not long after that. The first one was called Brandscape. I was the founding CEO of, a, of a, an operating company called uh, Ogilvy & Mather Interactive. That was part of the WPP family of companies but uh, more of an entrepreneur than an entrepreneur. I didn't uh, actually own specialized equity in that company. Sure. So my first sort of time you know, into the breach was, was really a company called Brandscape. When you got in the agency game, did you want to, or was it just something you were kind of fascinated by, like that world, or? I mean, you know, Mad, I, Mad Men hadn't come out yet, no, so no. yeah. No, I, you know, I, I, it really came from um, reflection on what I was good at. Unfortunately, I wasn't you know, particularly special at any one thing. The combination of strategy and creativity, I felt like I, I was unique in, in my ability to do both of those things. You know, just trying to reflect on how could I kind of monetize that, that superpower. Like everybody's got a superpower, you know. Mine just happened to be trapped between these two things. And so out of that came some reflection and a focus on agencies. And I read a book called Ogilvy on Advertising, which just after that I was, I was hooked. So I was really on the strategy side of things by then. I'd been a copywriter early in my career but moved over to the, what's called account management. But you're really setting brand strategy, trying to figure out, you know, how can I help this client tell their story? How can I help them differentiate in a category where there are a lot of the features are commoditized? And just sort of build awareness, reach and frequency uh, of, a, of a specific value proposition. You know, one of the last brands I work on was Taco Bell. And so if you think about it, you know, Taco Bell, there's a lot of business strategy innovation in that company. The, the dollar menu and a lot of things that came out of uh, desire to compete with McDonald's. You know, we used to say, you know, 99 cents is a good deal for a burrito, but it's a better deal for a burrito in the feeling that you're not like everybody else. Cool. Um, and so, you know, that's really what advertising does, is it, it finds a way to enhance the, um, you know, the, the experience of a product um, in a way that customers are willing to pay a premium for. But like this, that strategy to say, you know, we're going to really try to brand this thing around this kind of antidote to McDonald's and use our sort of at the time, what was a much smaller business, use that to our advantage. And that strategy comes out of someone that does what I did. And then there's a creative person that realizes that strategy in the form of a creative execution. 
it's subtle, but I love the positioning aspect that Mike alluded to there in terms of going up against McDonald's, obviously the the lead dog in the fast food world. Right. And the big thing for me here, and I know that you poke fun at my hipsterism, allegedly, yes, all the you're time. A child. I'm, yes, I'm a, you're child. a child. Yeah. But it's this feeling of, of wanting Taco Bell because you didn't want to be like everyone else. For me, I just wanted it because it was delicious and they had Doritos tacos. Mm. But Youths. <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't know about your youth, and it sounds like from that... And it, that confirms something for me because I feel like you were born perpetually old as an old man yeah. and disgruntled. Just disgruntled Just, just old disgruntled yep. Patrick. But the Taco Bell crowd, when I was growing up, it was definitely very not Patrick. It was different from other folks. <laughs> I actually did go to Taco Bell that much. That was where all the potheads went. That's what my dad told me. So I didn't, I didn't go. Um, no, but this is, this is true. And, and I think uh, a lot of this comes down to it's who you are as a brand, not necessarily in the context of the market, but actually to the customers that you're targeting. It's this positioning that you have in the world. And a lot of people don't think of brand in this manner. They think of what we talked about already, the accoutrements, the name, the logo, the colors, those types of things. Yeah, no, in, in reality, it's everything in between, but it is inclusive of the name, of the logo, of the colors and the nitty gritty. Yeah, it definitely is. But but this is where I think Mike starts to shine by really breaking down what brand means and how it applies to companies of, of any size. Listen to how he explained his first interaction with Actifio customers. And keep in mind that Actifio's product is not an easy one to understand or explain. It's basically a brand legend's white whale. When you look at brand, no matter the size, is it about kind of finding that position in the world that you're in and kind of playing off that to stand out? Or what's what's kind of the, yeah. the way you look at it? I think yeah. you want to build it back from the emotional value proposition of the product. So uh, I'll give you an example. You know, when I went to Actifio, this is a classic, like, hard-bitten enterprise technology company. I don't think anybody even really understood it uh, before I got there. I got pulled into a customer council meeting. But the team was sort of wary, I would say, of this marketing guy. Like, you know, engineers think marketing is only for products, right? And I said at one point, you know, we were talking about bits and bytes, and do you want a red button or a blue button? Do you want a whatever? But it was really like hardcore in the tech. And there was this pause, and I said, the first time you recovered your data, how did that make you feel? And there was this like awkward silence in the room, and like my people looked at me, and it was more like what the you know kind of a look. And so I just let it sit there, and and the customer said it felt it felt great. I knew how long it would take to recover, you know, from a data loss, from a data breach, rather, and, and our inability to, to get that data back. And, and, you know, in Actifio, I could do that instantly, really in a matter of seconds, and have the whole system be back online. And it was, a, it was you know, kind of a revelation. And then another guy said, yeah, no, it was like freedom. And then another guy said, well, you know, he told this story that, that you know, he used to keep four packs of ramen noodles in his desk drawer because he had had, they had had an outage, and it took them from Thursday to Sunday to recover, and he couldn't leave the office, and he was starving, and so he'd had these noodles in his desk, and like, people have these horror stories of like, you know, wearing beepers to their kids' soccer games, and like, I mean, it just trying to break with the tyranny of a 20th century data management model, like, people felt that. And this idea of freedom, like, how do you tell the story of what that product does for the people who buy it, not in terms of how it works, 
but in terms of why it matters. And there's usually an emotional dimension to why it matters. And I think great brands are built on that foundation. An understanding of how does this make customers feel? What is the value proposition of the product, not only on a rational level, but on an emotional one as well? And if you can tease that out, um, and, and the best way to do that is to talk to customers and get to know them, then that really becomes a cornerstone of your communication yeah. going forward. The one word distillation of that was freedom. Yeah. That freedom, that at, at the core of that brand was always this idea of freedom. And freedom informed the visual identity, which had a lot of light, airy, white space yeah. and we used the color orange because it was the antithesis of, of EMC blue and had a little more energy and felt like, again, a break with the past. The copy was written from a very with a human voice as opposed to a more institutional kind of feel. That idea, once you have something with that level of clarity, you know, that, that this is really about freedom. It's really about giving you the ability to access your data wherever and whenever you need to, instantly on demand. With freedom, we can go full Braveheart, like you know, and, and there's there's we'll companies. Never take. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, our data. Yeah, yeah like, yeah. You, but their companies have done that, right? How do you then take that to, like, okay, we're gonna describe it this way because we still got to do a little bit of the technical stuff because that's gonna bring in the CEO. Still got to do a little bit of this because that's gonna bring in the you know the guy with the beeper. Like, how do you? Yeah, what's well, the translation? you know, I, I think there's there's two. As, you know, there's identity and there's narrative, right? The emotional value prop first, I think, informs identity. How do you want it to feel? Because you do have a visceral reaction when you see anything, like a logo, a glyph, a color. Like you want to inform those things with whatever the emotional value prop is. And, and again, identity is not brand. It's an, it's an element of brand. And then the, the narrative is really the story. And, and the narrative has to reflect whatever the emotional value prop is, but it has to explain why it matters in rational terms as well. You're always sort of trying to lead with, okay, what is that story that is gonna get people interested enough to look deeper? We don't learn everything there is, particularly about an enterprise technology product in the first you know, 15 seconds, right? But the way you begin the story, what you deliver in that first 15 seconds signals to the listener whether they should pay attention, whether they should stick around for the next two minutes. And in that two minutes, you have to give them a reason to pay attention for the next 10. And in that 10, you have to give them, you know. And so I think the nature of marketing, which is a series of exposures, and or, or even over the course of a meeting, you know, job one is to get them to feel like, okay, there's something here for me. Whatever this thing is, it's worthy of my attention, worthy of a closer look. And so brand really exists at that level. It's signaling to the user who may not be familiar with it, why should I, why is this relevant to me? Why should I look more deeply into it? Now, once you've established that, you need to deliver on it. So I think brand informs every aspect of product experience, even for existing customers. But I think at the demand gen level, it's really about, you know, how do I signal to people in the fastest way possible that this is something that can help them, that can help you know, not only solve whatever their acute problem is, but it's something that can make their life better. So once you figure that out and you have real clarity in terms of how are you trying to affect the user, you know, I'm gonna, you know, all communications about moving someone else from where they are to where you want them to be, you know, from, from point A to point B. Mm -hmm. And so as a marketer, you wanna sort of say, okay, I have a good sense of where they are, Here's the aspects that they'll, you know, that they're cynical about. Here's the things that they believe today and the things that they don't. And how do I get them to a place where they really are at a point B where they can absorb our message and get excited about what we're doing and invest the time and energy required to understand how our product can help them. And, and that's really how you calibrate execution. The tactical sort of creative output of, you know, the Mel Gibson 
painted face strategy versus the whatever, you know, those things, they come later. Those executions have to be informed by clarity of vision about, about how you're trying to affect the listener. And I think that's, that's where a lot of marketers go wrong. Okay, that was that was probably one of the densest five to six minutes we've ever had on Protect the Hustle, and and, it, and I love how it just kind of flows effortlessly. Yeah. Do you want to do a little mini recap? Uh, yeah, let's do a mini recap. So, uh, brand it starts by working backward from the emotional value proposition of the product. It comes down to how do you tell the story of what the product does for people who buy it. Not in terms of how it works, but in terms of why it matters. And there's there's usually this emotional dimension to why it matters. Okay, yeah. The the identity, your logos, your colors, all of those little things, those are they're just not brand. It's an element of brand, but you know, the more central guiding force is this emotional value proposition with which guides identity. It's the narrative of brand which has to reflect the emotional value proposition, but it also needs to explain why the product matters in rational terms as well. Right. And, and that that kind of reflects to me this whole concept that that brand has all of these layers, right? Because the rational terms, the storytelling with the narrative, and then all of the identity elements, it's it's a lot going on. And I think the other element of layering here is the also the fact that Mike talked a lot about how it's not about kind of doing all of that at once, right? You know, we can we can give someone a six-page readout, but that's a lot to expect. It's it's more about in that first 15 seconds getting that person to commit to the next 2 minutes. And then in that 2 minutes getting them to commit to the next 10 minutes and then that 10 minutes getting them to commit to, you know, so on and so forth. Well, and then ultimately you need to deliver on all the things Absolutely. you're establishing for yep. a brand to flourish. Yeah, and, and I, I think like most of us, though, it's it's what I like is that Mike is not giving us very tactically based things. Like he's not telling us you must do this and do this. I think there's some elements in there that you can pull out that are like that. But here he's giving us a framework to think through brand. Because if brand is ultimately the experiences through which people interact with your company, your product, your content, et cetera, then the tactical elements are secondary to this vision and this experience. Yeah, and I, I like this because I think that we're collectively terrible at keeping what brand truly it's is in hard. context. We're it's just so terrible hard. at so many things. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. <laughs> in a little more optimistic view, like, you know, let's revert back to tactical pieces, which makes us forget the forest in favor of the trees. Sure. I, I think you're you're absolutely right there. And this is where Mike, I think, points out where most entrepreneurs and marketers just go completely in the wrong direction. Uh, pay careful attention here to what Mike says around focusing too much on the features of our products, which we've all likely been known to do from time to time. When marketers go wrong, is it because, or, or how are they going wrong mostly? Is it they focus way too much on the technical features? They focus too much on the 10-minute value prop instead of the first 15? Like, Yeah, no, I, I think they're not telling, you know, they're not effective storytellers, I think, in most cases. They, they look, it's, it's um, a lot of what I do in that kind of role is really prioritization more than it is invention, okay. right? So, you know, I, I think that usually the entrepreneur has a sense of, you know, what they're selling and why it matters. Mm -hmm. But maybe there's four or five different things. Sure. 
it does this, it does that, it enhances security, it's a more robust platform for the blah, 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 right? Yeah. Um, and, and I think, you know, if you're a technical entrepreneur in particular, you're so close to the intimate details of how that works. I think it's very difficult in some cases to step back from, from that and say, these five ideas are all legitimate. Well, first you want to move from the level of feature to the level of benefit. A lot of young entrepreneurs are like caught up in the features at the feature level, yeah. uh, which are really about product attributes as opposed to the way those attributes create value for customers. Sure. So great marketing communication is built from the customer back, not from the product up. Um, and so the first job one is to translate that into a set of benefits. And then is to prioritize those benefits so that you're leading with the most important. And I think that, you know, it's very hard to do that. That's like, you know, you know, who's your favorite kid, Mike? You know, the process of trying different cocktails of benefits and emphasizing one over the other and observing how customers and prospective customers respond to that articulation and then really committing to whatever the most effective formulation is. Yeah. And then from there, it's really about message discipline. It's really about... How am I going to tell this story the same way consistently at every contact point with the marketplace? And that is also difficult. And I really feel like really what's happened, you know, now there's real momentum around a core group of people who have those skills. And more importantly, you know, a broad awareness in the community as a whole that those things matter, that they are a driver of business success and a driver of enterprise value over time. All right. It's time to release the beast. It's time for us to reveal some of our data. Is that what I am? Like that's my X Men. I'm data beast or something. Yeah. Come on, give it to us. All, right, all right, all right. You know, you've been sitting on this. Let's for a get bit. to some data. Yeah. So I, I think it's um, yeah. Let's let's get to the big reveal here. And I think that we hinted at it. I think that everyone's been saying it for you know a better part of a decade now. And and the real fact is that brand is actually amazing for business. So we looked at about half a million consumers, and what we did is we coded their perception of a particular brand. So we didn't just ask them, hey, on a scale of one to five, you know, how happy are you with this brand? We asked them a couple of questions and then essentially anthropologically like coded their perception of a brand from highly negative to highly positive. We then asked them willingness to pay questions using the price intelligently method to basically figure out what their price elasticity and what their willingness to pay looked like. And then we compared and contrasted all of these folks. And what we found is that those individuals who had a positive or a very positive perception of a brand, they essentially had 20 to 35% higher willingness to pay than the overall median. And what was really interesting as well is that those who had a negative or highly negative perception of a brand they basically had a 15 to 25% lower willingness to pay than the median. Yeah, that's a big spread, but has this has this data been consistent over time? You know, I I think that the based on the other data that we've seen that we've gone over on these shows that it's become more prominent. Yeah, that's a great question and and that would be a bit of a, a silver bullet to this argument. Uh basically kind of supporting you don't you don't ever prove something. You always support um, some sort of hypothesis here. But I think that the data over time is a bit tougher to get because we haven't been collecting this data in, in this fashion or in this kind of density for this long. But when we do look at the data that we have, it, it spreads over the past five years, we are finding that this trend has become more pronounced, 
meaning that the data suggests that brand didn't matter as much five years ago as it does today. I am still struggling with some practicalities here. You know, I know that Mike gave us a good framework to follow, but the biggest thing for me is how do people actually implement this? How do we, how do we put this into our businesses and, and practically do this? Yeah, and I think this is hard, right? Because I think the, the hard part is hard part is kind of the framework. And I think then we think the hard part are all the accoutrements and all these different pieces. But the problem is that those are hard because we haven't decided the central piece. And, and that's the difficulty in crafting this positioning vision or statement. So once you have that, then a lot of the other pieces, they start to fall into place or, or at least have a place to start. And, and too many of us, as we start to try with some of these accoutrements, we, we get distracted and this positioning can be the root of everything. It's kind of like what we speak about when we talk about buyer personas and just how important they are to conversations internally and, and ultimately your pricing. Mm -hmm. And I think that Mike has a really, really great framework on crafting that positioning statement. He definitely does. And Mike's been using this framework for a long time. And it's something that I revisit or I share with other operators at least once every six months. And what you're trying to do is really come up with a statement that positions and centers your brand. So as an example, and this is an example he's going to use in the next clip, for a company like BMW, the, the BMW positioning statement would be, for drivers who value automotive performance, BMW provides luxury vehicles that deliver joy through German engineering. And what's important to remember here is, is that you're not necessarily putting this on your homepage or on a t-shirt or anything. It's, it's a centering statement, kind of like you said, it centers things that, that can produce all the other aspects of brand. That's exactly right. And, and, and I think that's important because that statement is so dense and you can apply that to, he's going to apply it to Coca-Cola, he's going to apply it to um, BASF, he's going to apply it to a couple of different places, then he definitely applied it to Actifio. But that that wasn't something that was just kind of plastered everywhere. It's something that, cool, everyone can kind of understand this in the context of these different pieces. And so let's let Mike teach this uh, because he, he's going to do it the best. And, and listen to him giving a lecture here at HBS on, on this very topic and pay careful attention to the context around how this is constructed out of the key six elements of positioning. What I've done is I've taken some of the classical positioning language that agency uses to build brands and to explain to people value propositions and tried to translate that into a kind of framework that startups can use to articulate their value prop. So that's what this is. Um, and if you look at a classical positioning, it has really six elements. And the first is, who is the target? Um, the target is an actionable universe of buyers. And by actionable, I mean this is a group of people that you can identify and communicate with. Um, if, if, if it's some obscure thing and it's not an observable attribute, um, then, then that tends not to be an actionable target. And so you really want to look for some identifier of people that is at, at the most basic level, actionable for you from a kind of marketing standpoint. If you had a room full of people in the target um, and you were working that room, it was a cocktail hour, and you were trying to figure out who was a good prospect and who wasn't, you would ask a qualifying question. And you would, in that room, over time, identify a segment. There would be some subset of people in the target audience who have some key predisposing attribute that makes them more likely to buy that which you seek to sell. So you're looking for a target, um, and within that target, some segment, the brand. 
This is, you know, a name you call yourself. Um, it is, um, by the way, just as a quick aside, I think people spend way too much time thinking about what to name there. You know, Xerox doesn't mean anything. Kodak doesn't mean anything. Like, we, we made those things mean something over time. If you're salary.com, great. You know, like, people know what that is. And there are certain businesses where that, that's important, but in the vast majority, um, you know, people act what, ask what Actifio is, and, and I tell them it's, it's, I don't know, it sounded vaguely Italian or Shakespearean. How now, Actifio, you know, kind of thing. Um, but, but that's lost in, you know, <laughs> um, I, you know it, really, it was the only three-syllable URL we could get. So now, you want to identify a category that provides a frame of reference for the buyer. And then within that category, identify a point of distinction. Um, within the category that provides a shortcut for, for a buyer to understand what you do, what is your distinguishing characteristic? What is that which makes you unique within that category? Um, and then finally, having made a claim of distinction, what proof can you provide um, uh, to that claim? Now, proof is perceived evidence of truth. This is very, this is very marketing speak, but uh, what does that mean? That means that if it is evidence of truth, but it is not perceived as such, it is not proof. If, on the other hand, <laughs> it really isn't evidence of truth, but it is perceived as that, it's proof. Um, you know, perception is reality. Um, I wish the world were not so, uh, but it is. All right, so target, segment, brand, category, distinction, proof. You figure out these six things, you string them together in a sentence, and you end up with something that looks a lot like this. For target who are segment, brand provides the category with distinction because of proof. You can articulate the value prop of any organization using this simple framework. These are made up examples, more or less. For drivers who value automotive performance, BMW provides luxury vehicles that deliver joy through German engineering. Is German engineering um, evidence of the ability of a, of a machine to deliver joy? Um, I don't know. Um, people think it is. And so, you know what? It is. Um, here's another one. For people around the world, Coca-Cola is the soft drink that is the real thing since 1886. We actually use this for Coke. Um, now, now, what is it about the age of Coke? And it's, it's, it, it's, it, that age, that 1886 thing, is a symbol of authenticity to people. And Coke is the original. Um, it is the real thing. It just is. Um, if you tell people something is long enough, they start to believe that it is. But anyway, so does it work for consumer stuff? Well, no. It, it works for anything. Um, for industrial manufacturers who are challenged to differentiate, BASF is the raw material supplier that makes products better through engineering depth. All right, so this is a very B2B, hard-nosed, you know, this is a chemicals company. Um, but they articulate their value prop, not in the manufacture of chemicals, but to a specific audience, industrial manufacturers. The segment is the subset of industrial manufacturers who are trying to differentiate. The brand is BASF. Uh, the category is they are a raw material supplier. Um, what they do, their point of distinction is that ma they make products better. And the proof that they have of that is their depth of internal engineering. All right? So um, this is a very effective uh, construct. And um, once you figure out something, you know, I think of it as kind of scaffolding. Um, 
you force yourself into these buckets and into an articulation of your value prop that maps roughly to this, to this structure. And then, you know, if, if you want to cut some corners or take some scaffolding down, once the building, you know, comes in, knock yourself out. You know, maybe you abbreviate it, you shorten it. But, but it really is an important way to kind of begin. Um, final comment on this before I give you an example is, is that um, remember that wherever possible, this is true of any communication, but I think particularly with respect to um, you know, articulating the value prop of a business, you want to try and tell a story. Um, you know, stories are much easier for other people to grasp. That's why they're incredibly effective. And this is a biological thing. Um, we are, you know, bullets are nice, very rational, you know, um, you have these sentences with these awkward constructs where you can have a story, a bad guy, a good guy, you know, a problem, um, you know, and you can create that kind of a narrative in the way that you articulate your value prop, you know, you're going to win. Brand is the sum total of an individual's experience with your product and company. Every little bit contributes to that positive perception or a negative perception of your brand. Brand is your identity. It's, it's the narrative, this looking glass through which people see your company. And it's ultimately, it's not one thing that you can point to on a whiteboard or, or just in, the, in a physical space, but brand will increasingly become important as more markets, as, as more of these brands and these, these other folks, they become denser and, and there's more rampant competition. And as brand will actually become the differentiator that pushes us forward. And I think to me, one of the biggest things that I find respite in is that last comment that Mike made about it's a story, that all of this becomes infinitely easier when we essentially house our brand and house our narrative in the biological construct of a story. And what I find beautiful about it is that when you start to approach your brand in that manner, what is the story of what you're trying to do? What is the beginning, the middle, and the foreseen end of what you're trying to do? It starts to become much, much easier because remember, your brand is never finished, just like your story is never finished or hopefully is never finished. It's going to have some ups. It's going to have some downs. It's going to have a lot of in-betweens. But that's the root of what you're trying to do, that vision and that positioning. And that's what's going to help you create those experiences and make sure that you have as strong a brand as possible. Protect the Hustle is produced by Dan Callahan and Ben Hillman, with help from Robert Byrne and Alyssa Chang. Written and produced by Patrick Campbell. If you share this episode on Twitter with a hashtag protect it, we'll hook you up with some nice ProfitWell swag. This week's episode is brought to you by ThriveHive. ThriveHive has everything you need to market your business online, from advertising to guided digital platforms. ThriveHive.com.